Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. Today's topic is so important, I don't think there's anybody anywhere in our listening audience or who knows somebody in our listening audience who is not impacted by this topic, so let me get started. The buzz today is counterfeits. Okay, the saying quality has its price is especially true today for pharmaceutical drugs and medical devices because guess why? Counterfeiting is now a billion dollar market and I think there's some numbers that go in front of the B for billion. How can we protect patient safety? But at the same time, how can we stem the revenue losses facing the honest manufacturers? There's a lot of meat on the bones in that loaded question. And another question, whose fault is it anyway? Well, Well, if you look at the food industry, the fashion industry, the high-tech products industry, and even automotive, they're facing similar challenges from very clever, hard-working counterfeiters. So the big question today is, will the life sciences industry solve this challenge first and perhaps become a model for the other industries that are having a lot of difficulty with counterfeiters. Lives are on the lines here, not just pocketbooks. I have a panel of three experts who are waiting in the wings, eager to share their information, their points of view, and their expertise. So let's get started. First up is Eric Newmark. He is at Life Sciences Research at IDC Health Insights, and we love having our friends at IDC here on the show. And Eric sent me the following quote, the life science industry has dragged its feet for the last two decades with item-level serialization, and Eric will explain that in a minute, keeping it in the dark ages and positioning itself as an easy target for counterfeiters, which goes to my question, whose fault is it anyway? Eric Newmark, Newmark, welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. How are you, Eric? Good. Good morning, Bonnie. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for joining me. Very important topic. And this is quite a quote you sent me, Eric. Uh, You're saying, uh, let's not point the figure outside. Maybe it belongs inside. So tell me about this quote, and then please explain to all of us what you mean by item-level serialization. Sure. So, I mean, it really all starts with regulation. And if you look at regulation around track and trace and serialization in the life sciences, it's it's really just been a standstill for, for a couple decades now, going back to the original PDMA Act in the 1980s to several different attempts by the industry through the 90s and early 2000s. There were some injunctions. Um, ultimately, over the last four or five years, we had the California uh, Drug Pedigree 2015 Act that many people thought was, was really going to try to get things moving again. And you know, we had this patchwork of regulations by states across the United States and Ultimately, they were all superseded by the Drug Quality and Security Act, uh, which recently passed uh, about a year ago. But in the long run, um, I'm not that happy with it. I think that you know the industry has been well beyond, behind the ball in this. I think some of it is due to the, the lack of coordination on the regulatory side. Some of it is due simply to uh, the industry not really understanding the costs involved and, and, and the risk-reward. Um, personally, I think that you know, the DQSA, and we can talk more about this as we go on, but I, I don't think it does enough good for the industry. I think it's sort of status quo from a political standpoint. It gives the government mm-hmm. the ability to sort of check off, hey, we're making some progress around supply chain security. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's a huge improvement, and I think it actually pushes the industry 
significantly backwards in terms of getting towards item level serialization. And, and to just explain that, uh, yes, unlike please. many other industries, uh, which has you know the UPC barcode on every item that's sold, the, uh, the life sciences don't have that. It's at a much higher level. Um, so traceability of product through distribution um, is you know somewhat invisible, and that creates a lot of the loopholes that counterfeits can seep in through. Okay, Eric. In my thank you, in my intro, I said that food industry, fashion, high tech products, automotive are also facing challenges, and I know they are not our topic of the day. We're talking about medical products, pharmaceuticals, medical devices. But do you think there's a level of hiding in the sand or pretending that you can just have some reg- some legislation and do something, and you will? be able to avoid or stop the counterfeiters? Is there a naivete? I'm almost afraid to ask it, but can we damn a little more? What's your point of view? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a little bit of what's been done. I think uh, from a regulatory standpoint, they've done the bare minimum to try to appease Mm -hmm. the public. So it makes like, you know, we're looking uh, at some progress, but we really haven't been. From the industry standpoint, I think that uh, one of the big problems has been the way the industry has approached this from a business case standpoint. I think that... um, you know, they haven't realized all the benefits that can come from moving towards item level serialization uh, across the entire enterprise. I think uh, historically a lot of the onus has fallen on the, the leaders of the manufacturing side or the supply chain side to fund uh, the implementation of some of this progress. And realistically, it, it shouldn't be on their shoulders. It should be an enterprise-wide uh, movement because the benefits that come out of something like that are really not just manufacturing and supply chain-centric but really will go across to many other areas, such as um, sales, marketing, revenue management, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, so uh, this is something that, you know, uh, unfortunately, from a regulatory standpoint, I think is going to be on hold for a while. But realistically, I think there is uh, a lot more that needs to be done here. Thank you very much, Eric Newmark. Great start to our discussion. Let me introduce our second panelist. It's Manish Tandon. He's with Life Sciences and Services at Infosys. We're also delighted to have Infosys back. And a shout-out to Pramod, who is listening and tweeting. I see you on hashtag SAP Radio. Here's a quote from Manish. Very interesting. It's from Marcus Tullius Cicero. Those of you wondering, who is that? It's Cicero. You all have heard of him. Think back to the glory days of, I guess, the Roman Empire, but Manish will clarify. So here's the quote. True glory takes root and spreads. All false pretenses like flowers fall to the ground, nor can any counterfeit last long. That's beautiful. Manish Tandon, welcome to Coffee Break with Game Changers. How are you today? I'm doing good, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on the show. We're delighted. This is a great quote. Cicero, do you study this, these old quotes, or did you just happen to find this? Well, I just happened to find it because I was looking uh, to bring in uh, the human angle uh, to this, uh, uh, this problem. And uh, if you ask yourself, um, what, what do medicines do, actually? I think uh, when, uh, when a company sells medicine, it's selling hope. And when... Um, your near and dear one is down or you are down, you're sick, you don't have the money, the threshold for rationality for that individual is very, very low, and counterfeiters use this low threshold to push their products. And these counterfeits are like uh, flowers. They can give you um, a temporal uh, relief to your senses, but they can't produce value um, and 
sustain the hope that you've had over a period of time. And hence, I wanted to bring that human angle, and hence I used that quote, Bonnie. Wow, very, very, very interesting to take it into a level of beauty like this. So what are your thoughts? Let's break it down and bring it to modern times, Manish. Uh, a counterfeit cannot last long. Are they lasting long? Is the industry I talked about in the beginning, it's multi-billion dollar industry. It's lasting. So was Cicero wrong that it's just not going to be around? I think he's wrong. What do you think? I agree with you, Bonnie, and uh, I think uh, there's a lot of data uh, that is available, which shows that, uh, and this is some uh, data from Pfizer, where uh, in, nine, in 2009 they found 20 of their products counterfeited in 81 countries. And when they did the same uh, survey in 2012, uh, they found 106 countries had 60 fake products of theirs. Um, uh, also, um, people say that uh, this problem is like a wet balloon. Uh, you push it at one side, it expands somewhere else, and you take the finger off, and it just bounces back. So Cicero um, mm. was wrong to some extent, I agree. Yeah, but he said it so beautifully, we still yeah. have to give him credit. Thank you so much, Manish. Pleasure to welcome you. And let's bring our third panelist on. He's a veteran of SAP Radio, been on so many times. This is Joe Miles, working with the life sciences industry at SAP. And Joe sent me a very long quote. I'll just read a part of it. And he's quoting Roger Bate in Forbes India magazine. So we are traveling around the world for our topic. Here's the quote. The U.S. wrote 4 billion prescriptions last year. Even 0.1% of it means 400,000 prescriptions. I know that sounds low to me. It doesn't have to be a sizable percentage in wealthy markets. There's no one global figure. But when the World Health Organization says 10% of the drugs in the world market are fake, I'd say it's a reasonable and educated guess that can be backed up with data. Wow. Welcome, Joe Miles, and an absentia. Welcome, Roger Bate. How are you, Joe? I'm fine, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you for the quote. Talk to me. This is very interesting. So is Roger Bate reflecting? What, what was he doing with Forbes India magazine, first of all? Was this a global statement at an interview point? It, it was, and I think I, what I did is I tried to take maybe the inverse approach from Manish, not to say that he was wrong or I was right, but just the, the fact that um, it is very real, and, and the earlier comment uh, speaker made the point as well. This is a very real problem. We're talking about an industry that um, is looking at a 40 to $50 billion a year um, market potential in terms of the counterfeit drug market. It is sizable. It is uh, sophisticated. Um, this is not just some local player or small market uh, player who's uh, operating this. These are these are global sophisticated syndicates that are working these in, on, a, on a global basis. And so I think the the, the problem has, uh, in some respects, has escalated in the last couple of years. I think the uh, the stakes have gotten even higher. Um, and I would agree that uh, that I think. You know, I think there's been some, uh, whether you want to call it hesitance or concerns or uh, fee dragging of some sorts from the industry in terms of addressing this. Um, the timing is such that, uh, you know, for, for, the organ, for the life science companies to make changes of the magnitudes that have to be done, these are hundreds of million dollar investments that have to be done at a time when, when patent expiries have taken considerable margin out of the marketplace mm -hmm. and organizations are struggling with that. So the, the timing, I think, is, is, 
is is a challenge for the organizations. I think it's one that they're they're clearly recognizing that they are uh, there's a hit to their bottom line. But as uh, Manish is pointing out, there's a very personal angle to this as well. This is this is involving the lives and uh, of people uh, ourselves and our siblings and our family members and and people we know. And so it's a it is a very very difficult issue. But it is I think my point of the quote was really more just to to highlight the magnitude of the problem mm-hmm. on a global basis. Thank you, Joe. Question for you, and I want to establish this for our audience, and I've been tweeting this, and Pramod Pratap at Infosys is tweeting this, and SAP Healthcare is tweeting it. Uh, the question is, how do counterfeit, counterfeit drugs get to you and me and our loved ones and people in our neighborhood and people we work with? Are we talking online, hey, get your you-know-what cheap through this online site? Are we talking about driving across the U.S. border up to our neighbors in the north and buying your drugs in a boatload and not knowing whether there was QA quality assurance? Joe, where, how do these get into the mainstream? What is the real nature of the problem? I think we see it happening on all different levels, whether it's a, um, the incident that happened a couple of years ago where organizations are breaking into warehouses in, in Connecticut and they drove truckloads of, of highly valuable uh, drugs literally right out of a warehouse, probably took it immediately to a cargo uh, tanker, and off it went to, to gray markets, to organizations that are literally manufacturing false product. Um, there's it is a pretty regular occurrence now that you see truckloads of drugs that are that are uh, stolen across the globe. Um, there's a lit, litany of ways that, that drugs will end, you know, start out in the in the in the appropriate markets and, and the legit markets and are confiscated, stolen, manufactured, you know, pilfered and, and moved into the into the counterfeit uh, space and it's happening on a variety of levels and I think that's where the creativity and the sophistication of these organizations that are that are operating this um, cannot be underestimated, and I think many of the of the of the tactics that have now been deployed, and, and again, they're probably a little bit late to the game, certainly from item level serialization perspective, and the reporting that goes along with that is an attempt to really try and drive the take the margin out of it, make it much more costly, much more difficult to to do that, to bring drugs into the from the gray market into the legitimate market, but um, we're talking creative people who are uh, who are highly motivated because of the 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 market opportunity that's out there. Thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate that. Very serious topic today, but I'm going to lighten it up just a little bit for our panelists. We're going to circle back to Eric Newmark at IDC Health Insights. And Eric, tell me a little story. What are you drinking today? Is it the real thing or is it a counterfeit something? Or what do you wish you were drinking after the show? Eric Newmark. <laughs> well, you know, honestly, I used to be a coffee fiend, but uh, my cup is empty now. <laughs> I've actually given up coffee and I've moved over to orange juice. So I'm feeling ah. a little healthier these days. And what kind of orange juice? We have to know fresh squeezed or fresh squoze, as I think my kids used to say, or or is there a special brand? You can tell us. Go ahead, Eric. So, you know, it's interesting. I actually just recently learned that uh, typically it's not a good idea to buy juice in a see-through container because light actually eliminates a lot of the, the nutritional value. So... Right now, I don't have a specific brand, but I'm particularly buying orange juice that is not in a see-through container. That's ver- I'm tweeting that. That's a good health tip. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> Thank you very much. Manish Tandon, what are you drinking today? Well, I was down uh, with a bit of a cold, and no, I didn't have any counterfeit drugs. Um, so I am having a cup of tea. Uh, this is a special tea, uh, which is black tea. Boiled with uh, boiled hard with water and uh, milk, and it has uh, ginger and cardamom in it. 
and uh, it is supposed to be good uh, if you have a cold. So uh, this is uh, some ancient Indian recipe, I guess, but uh, seems very soothing, seems to work. Thank you very much. I hope you're feeling better. When you say boil hard, how do we have a special temperature or a special guidance on that? No, you boil uh, you boil it with uh, milk for uh, about uh, it. It's not the dip dip variety. So you you boil it uh, with milk and water for um, keep it on the boil for about three minutes or so. The temperature would be obviously around 100, 105 degrees or so. Thank you very so, much. So the idea we let, is yeah, that you can extract the maximum out of the tea leaves. Ah, and you use the tea leaves in a little strainer, or or do you use a tea bag? No, I use uh, a tea leaf, which I put directly in the pan to boil. This is interesting. Thank you very much for the recipe. Always looking to learn what our very smart guests are drinking. Thank you, Manish, and I hope you feel better. Joe Miles, last but not least, what are you drinking today, Joe? Well, saying that uh, Chicago, where I'm currently calling, calling, from, calling you from, the Chicago area, is seeing the return of the dreaded polar vortex. Um, oh, I'm, yeah. I, I'm going with my standard green tea with a little sweetener. Okay. What kind of sweetener, Joe? The real deal, sugar, agave? Uh, we used to call it saccharin. Any of those products? The real deal, uh, sugar. I like that very much. Thank you very much. Okay. And what is Bonnie drinking today? Well, it's just water. Joe knows they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. I wonder why, but I digress. Our topic today is counterfeit medical products. Stop the madness. And the question on the table is how? What role does technology have? What's the responsibility of the life sciences industry? Will they lead the pack in terms of so many industries that are plagued by counterfeiting that's dangerous on so many levels? We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will launch into our 30-minute roundtable, kicking it off with Eric Newmark at Life Sciences Research at IDC Health Insights. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. 
Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, I'm Bonnie D. Graham. In case you haven't guessed that already, happy to be here on episode number 158 in our series called Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. Those of our fans out there who find us on the business channel at Voice America World Talk Radio know that we have 10 different theme series, and this is the flagship. So welcome to all of you. I know you're listening to us, whether live or on demand, in over 225 countries, states, regions, and I like to say backyards and neighborhoods. So welcome to the show. Now, our topic today is very serious. It affects everybody out there one way or another. It's counterfeit medical products. Stop the madness, but how? We're going to open up our roundtable with Eric Newmark, who is a program director of commercial life sciences research at IDC Health Insights. Eric, you sent me a lot of information in the notes before the show, but I want to go back to how the life sciences industry is slow in your perspective. Let me just read two sentences here. You can kick it off, and then we will invite Manish at Infosys and Joe at SAP to chime in. So Eric Newmark says, the life sciences industry from a technical perspective has always been extremely slow to progress and adopt innovation. On average, at any given time, he says, you could look at the electronics or CPG industries to see what they're doing and with great accuracy, get a glance at what the life sciences industry will be doing 10 to 15 years later. And my question is, Eric, why? Talk to me. Well, one of the major differences, I think, is that uh, we're in a highly regulated industry, so that obviously slows things down significantly. Uh, on the other hand, it's only been in the last you know, 15 years or so that the industry has really been plagued by this huge uh, patent expiration problem. So before that, um, you know, there was much more profit, much more margin to play with in the industry, and uh, some of the innovation that other industries really needed, the life sciences, I don't think, were as pushed um, to, to move in that direction as quickly. Um, you know, it, the 10 to 15 year uh, mark is, you know, it's just sort of a thumb in the air, but that's typically what I've seen. You know, I've been following the industry for a number of years. I speak to mm-hmm. companies regularly, and, um, you know, you look at cloud adoption, for example. You know, other industries uh, moved on that first. Life sciences were a bit slow. Now there's been a huge tip, and the industry is moving in that direction, but. Um, some of the large spend that we saw in other industries is only starting to take place now in the life sciences. Um, same thing, say, for social media. Uh, social media really took off, you know, eight, ten years ago, and only now is the life sciences starting to do creative things with it. Um, you know, they were worried for a long time in terms of lack of guidance from the FDA in terms of what they can and can't do, what they can say, are they on the hook for um, – uh, you know, adverse events that might be mentioned in an online setting, all, all sorts of things. So I think that hesitation from a regulatory perspective uh, has had a lot to do with why they typically are a bit slower. Interesting. Sounds like they're afraid of liability, Eric. They're afraid of the specter of some kind of punishment or fines. And are, are they just hiding out from the reality that we are a socially connected world now and they have to step up and figure it out? What do you think? I don't know that they're hiding, but I think that uh, they – as you mentioned, due to the fear, I think that you know they they've really tried to test things very thoroughly to make sure there's going to be a benefit from it. You know, on the other hand, I think some other industries jumped into social too quickly. You know, there is a lot of inherent risk in social, whereas mm-hmm. you, know, you discuss things online, it's usually people that are unhappy that are the most vocal. So jumping into a social setting, you know, you, you may not be getting a lot of benefit from it. Instead, you may just be creating yourself a lot of headaches. So. The life scientists took a very cautious approach to this, and you know they're, they're only, I think, slowly expanding their uses of it now. 
Thank you, Eric. Point well taken. And we do several shows on customer service and the socially amplified voice of the customer and the prospect today. And I've asked that very question to panelists on those shows, Eric, asking them, is it just the people who are unhappy who are the most vocal, tweeting or on Instagram or on, on Facebook, whatever? So good good point. Uh, just a quick question for you. When we say life sciences industry, so everybody understands, what are we talking about? What comprises or what, what specific niches are part of that industry? So the life sciences, I think, by definition, are pharma, biotech, and medical device. Um, I think uh, a lot of the, the comments that we've been discussing so far today, I think, are a little more aimed at pharma, but med device and, uh, definitely does fit into that equation. Thank you very much, Manish Tandon. Now that you've had a chance to drink your hotly boiled tea and feel better, why don't you join this conversation? What do you think about the reluctance of the life sciences industry, perhaps, or are they really that far behind the mark? What do you What do you find? Well, I uh, agree with uh, Eric's comments, uh, and I just wanted to add that it is not just about regulation that makes the industry conservative. It is also the fact that they are dealing with human lives which makes them conservative, right? So even if in 0.01% or 0.1% of the cases there's an adverse impact, uh, they are legally bound to declare it and label it appropriately and and so on. So I think think, uh, life sciences will never use bleeding-edge technology. They, although are embracing leading edge technologies, especially um, on the back end, uh, where uh, the bulk of the value is being created, and that is on the research side of things, where uh, they are doing some interesting stuff with, uh, uh, with data and with uh, uh, DNA information and, and so on. So um, I would agree with Eric that uh, at least the front-end technologies they will not embrace very quickly. But um, uh, they are they are getting there. Okay, thank you yeah. very much, Joe Miles. Oh, who who wants to talk? I heard someone. Uh, this is Eric. I was just going to add. Yeah. I mean, I do I do agree with what Nish is saying, but realistically, I think that uh, while they are dealing with human life, innovation um, that reluctance to adopt innovation is only true in say the R and D in the clinical space, which is you know, just a portion of the overall life scientist footprint. So on the commercial side, I think they have much less of an excuse as to why they've been so slow. Okay. Joe Miles, I know you want to add to this conversation. What do you think? Yes, I would. Um, yep. Yeah, you know, I think to Eric's point that they, uh, to say that the life science industries have ever been, you know, out in front um, is, would be, you know, that's just not the case. Right? They, they're never able to, they've never able to, to be that aggressive. Uh, they're regulated industries. Their products are based on on precise, precise submissions that have to be followed very closely. I think um, this one is a little bit different, though. But if you look at what's required in terms of some of these, uh, the magnitude of some of these uh, initiatives, uh, item level serialization in particular, you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars of investments, um, or at least well into hundreds of millions of dollars, to rework an entire production line, uh, to Im- implement um, readers and and label printers and all that. It, this is a, it's a significant foray into it. Now, I think the challenge for them has been 
how how do you do that and whose rules are you going to follow? And I think that's been a big part of the, the glo- when you look at this from a global perspective, you've got jurisdictions all over the world who are creating their own local versions from a reporting perspective. Um, you had e-pedigree that was very much in play for many years and now has deferred, as, as uh, was mentioned earlier, to more of the um, document level uh, the DQSA standard, which is, is, is slightly different. So I, I think they're been, they've been put into a difficult situation in terms of their ability to change based on what rules do you want to follow and, and, and the magnitude of the change once that happens. You know, and I, and I think that you cannot underestimate that. Yet on the other hand, I think I would definitely agree with some of the points that were made earlier that this market, once, once they fully institute item-level serialization, there are significant business benefits that can be extracted from that. Uh, in terms of downstream, <clears throat> downstream processes, uh, in particular in areas of uh, you know identifying um, parallel trade candidates, potentially identifying um, uh, you know just having serialized visibility across the uh, across the ecosystem really highlights a lot of issues and the, the impact on chargebacks and rebates and contract from a sales and marketing perspective is significant. So I do think that they're uh, they're starting to see the, and moving in the right direction. And I, I think one of the challenges they've had is just the marketplace has not made it very easy for them to to accomplish that. Thank you, yeah. Joe. Sounds like a good reality check. Eric, you want to comment on that? Uh, yeah, I would just add to what Joe said. I, I completely agree with him, but I would just say that. I think although the cost is tremendous to implement item-level serialization, I think some of the problem with that has been the way companies have looked at that. Now, for example, um, last year I was speaking with a, a top, 20 pharmaceutical, uh, top 20 pharmaceutical manufacturer based in Europe, and they had for a number of years been trying to put item-level serialization in place, but all the cost of that had been uh, on basically the plant manager whose plant resided uh, in a particular country, and they hadn't been able to cost justify it because most of the benefits they believed was going to come on the supply chain side, so they had never put the initiative into place. Now, shortly after that, um, the uh, regulation in Turkey started to require it, so they actually moved forward, did item level serialization, but it took that regulation to push it through. Now, realistically, I think uh, the problem has been that the cost of implementing item level serialization, again, has been a business case justification problem because it's fallen on the manufacturing side and perhaps sometimes the supply chain side. But to Joe's point, I think uh, it needs to be at a much higher level, uh, really across the enterprise and the C-level suite, because there are tremendous benefits that are going to come out of moving to item level serialization that go well, well beyond simply improve, improving supply chain security and uh, helping to eliminate the drug uh, counterfeit problem that go you know, all the way into things like optimizing distribution, improving demand forecasting, um, better production planning, faster product recalls. You know, today we, we recall you know, 10x as many products as we really need to because we don't know mm-hmm. specifically where they are or what's potentially right. been impacted. And then other areas like sales and marketing intelligence is going to improve because you'll have better visibility of where products are going, um, promotion and campaign management, um, and then areas like chargebacks, rebates, concealed shortages, uh, contract management, there's enormous uh, inefficiencies that exist there because you really can't char- um, tie uh, you know, a chargeback or um, a rebate, et cetera, back to an original bill of sale because there is not uh, item-level serialization. So there's a tremendous amount of guesswork and sort of inference and deduction that goes on there. 
And as a result, there's tremendous revenue leakage that just sort of seeps out. And we've done some interesting studies looking at that over the last several years, <clears throat> and we estimate it to be literally in the billions of dollars lost for the industry on an annual basis. So if the industry were to simply step back, take a broader view at this problem, take a business case approach that was a little more proper, in my opinion, uh, mm -hmm. I think everyone would be gaining, not just the end consumer, but the industry as a whole. Thank you, Eric. Anybody else want to chime in on Eric's last point? There were some uh, controversial things in there, Joe or Amanish? No, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree that, that a lot of the organizations have tried to have taken a more tactical view of this. And as a result um, of those tactics, they've tried to keep this, uh, the cost as low as possible. It, it may be uh, caught up in internal um, business cases and bureaucracies. Um, and in, in many respects, organizations needing to get out of their own way. Uh, I, I mean, I think they've, they've, that industry, the pharmaceutical industry in particular, you know, struggled. They're no different than a lot of industries on that level, but I think uh, organizations are recognizing the uh, the one the the compliance requirement that they have to be compliant to these initiatives. They're also seeing a broader context here that there is uh, from the you know just pre the preventative side of um, and the and the revenue increased revenue that will come from eliminating or reducing significantly uh, counterfeits globally. The impact that that'll have on their bottom line, in addition to having all of those other uh, benefit points that we were talking about from sales and marketing, the more precise recall numbers, uh, all of that's going to have a significant impact on that. And, and I think organizations are definitely moving in that direction. Uh, certainly having to get the item level serialization in place is, is, the, is the significant first step they have to make in order for that to happen. Thank you, Joe. I think there's a conundrum here that we haven't addressed, and I'll just briefly take a side a sidestep here for the panel. I think we all know people who balk at the price of medication today, especially seniors on fixed incomes. They go to the drugstore. I need to have this medication. My doctor prescribed it. What? $500 for a 30-day supply? Are you kidding? That's my electric bill. That's my gas for my car. That's my food for my kitty who keeps me comfortable at night. I don't know, whatever it is. So when we talk about counterfeits, very very often, I think the market, let's be honest, the market is partly there because people want to have less expensive medication and they're willing to take the risk until something horrible happens. Anybody want to comment on that? I'm just trying to bring in the consumer point of view here why we have counterfeits because people want cheaper drugs. Anybody uh, care to yeah. tackle that one? Yeah, Bonnie, I think uh, this one is. I think uh, yes. you're absolutely right. If you look at counterfeiting, uh, not just in pharma, in any industry, counterfeiting mm -hmm. happens primarily where the cost of manufacturing is much lower than the sale price. And the difference either comes from intellectual property, which is mm -hmm. in case of pharma, or it comes uh, from brand value in case of luxury goods and, and so on. And, um, and the fact of the matter is that unless until uh, through structural um, mechanisms, one is able to bridge this gap uh, between uh, the sale price and the cost of manufacturing, counterfeiting will continue. And the important thing here is that unlike luxury goods, here um, the pharma companies have to create a coalition with the consumer because, you know, if you have a Gucci bag, uh, if it's a fake, you might know that it's a fake and you mm -hmm. might accept it. But if it is a drug, then if you know it's a fake, you are not going to put it in your body. And I feel that the pharma industry 
has not created enough of a coalition with the end consumer to mm-hmm. stop counterfeiting. They, they have not leveraged this power where, um, you know, people will balk at taking something which is fake and putting it in their body on a critical time. They have not leveraged this enough, in my opinion. Yeah, Very interesting. Add- Thank you. Go ahead, Eric. Yep. Sure. I would just add to that. I mean, I think, and sort of piggybacking on my opening quote that they've, they've sort of done this themselves, I think that, you know, unfortunately, the life science is, is, is sort of the, the perfect storm for counterfeits to, to target. You know, uh, you look at some of the, the reasons, you know, as Minish just mentioned, you have very high-priced items um, in an industry with sort of relative low security to other industries. You have somewhat lack of regulation um, due to the lack of item level serialization, unlike other industries. You have trade that goes through several intermediaries, so there are lots of opportunities for fakes and counterfeits to seep in. And then, you know, the bottom line is we're in an industry where demand exceeds supply. So if there's not enough to go around, but it's something that's, you know, critical to life, um, people are going to go to great lengths to get it, and it makes it very easy for uh, perpetrators, so to speak, to, to enter that type of counterfeit into the system. Thank you for that reality check. Joe Miles, I'm sure you want to say something here before we move on. Yeah, the market forces certainly make it very, very, very compl- complicated. You know, I think in some respects it's um, there is high demand. Um, I, th- I think it's ironic that um, the pharmaceutical companies have probably some of the highest inventory levels um, globally of any industry, maybe not in all the, the appropriate markets, and, and that's as much from the market submission to perspective as anything. But um, it is, it is, uh, you know, um, it is a perfect storm in terms of this high-priced, valued asset that um, that does pass through a variety of hands. Remembering that different markets have different price points, um, single payers versus multi payers, and um, and and even the diversion of of a legitimate product um, can also create issues uh, in that uh, if, from an efficacy perspective, depending on where that product has gone, depending on where that um, product has been exposed to from a from an elements perspective, if some of the newer more more sophisticated biological products if they're exposed long-term to, to heat or even not so long-term to, to high levels of heat, um, you know, the efficacy will drop off considerably. So um, it's not just simply the counterfeits, but it's when some of that product is diverted um, in, in markets, maybe going into uh, uh, lower price markets and then being rerouted to higher price markets. Um, the condition and the, the efficacy issue still remains um, a, a point of concern. Uh, even though it's legitimate, it, it's gone through uh, um, areas it really shouldn't have, and, and consequently, the uh, the attention to detail and the and the processing of that can be can jeopardize the, the as I mentioned the efficacy of the product. So, thank yeah, Bonnie, you, Joe. That's one thing, yep. that's one thing just mm-hmm. mentioning for your listeners. Yeah. People might not realize what a counterfeit is. You know, there are several different sort of categories. Yeah. There are those without active ingredients completely. There are those that just have simply the wrong quantity of active ingredients. Those are those that might just have incorrect or fake packaging uh, or those that may be, you know, just contaminated with other types of um, substances that shouldn't be in there. So it's, you know, it's not just one thing that we're dealing with. There's all sorts of variations to counterfeits. 
Thank you, Eric. It sounds like there could be a benign level of counterfeiting where it's just, if you say it's lacking a, an active ingredient, you would have, I think Manish said that the pharma industry is selling hope. I'll give you this medication. Your doctor will prescribe it. You will get better. Your life will be extended. You will be healthier, happier, and feel better, blah, blah, blah. All good stuff. But if there are not the correct active ingredients, I guess the, the answer is it's not going to do anything for you. It may not hurt you, but it's not going to give you the intended promise of improving your health. Would you agree with that, Eric? Yeah, I don't really know which is better. I mean, honestly, if you're <laughs> sick and you take something that has bad things in it and it's going to make you worse, obviously that, that's a horrible uh, situation. Yes. But, you know, if you're on your deathbed and you have cancer and you're relying on your cancer medication and it doesn't have any active ingredient, uh, that's really just as bad. So, uh, yep. you know, these aren't, these aren't necessarily good forms of counterfeits. Nope. Okay, thank you. You know what? We're we're gonna we're almost done with the show. We have about another sixteen minutes, and I want to make sure we pack in a little more of the talking points my guest sent me before we close the show. So Manish Tandon at ID at uh, Infosys, I'm going to read one of the statements from your notes, and if you just briefly expand us a little bit, and then we'll see if Eric and Joe want to chime in. You say pharma supply chain is complex with many partners like manufacturers. Contract manufacturers, 3PL, you'll have to tell me what that is, distributors, retailers, and serialization is critical to avoid the intrusion of counterfeit drugs, the diversion of drugs from intended markets, and to be compliant with different markets. Sounds like there's a lot. I know we've been talking about this already, but it seems to me as an outsider looking in, Manish, that this crystallizes and puts it all together in one neat package. So is this all that's on the plate for the pharma to deal with in the supply chain, or is there even more? Actually, there are even more, <clears throat> but even if you deal with these five or six uh, entities, that itself makes the uh, supply chain uh, fairly complex. And uh, 3PL uh, uh, incidentally stands for third-party logistics companies, so okay. people who, who, um, who carry the uh, intermediates or APIs to uh, from one factory to another, or to the distributor, or to the retailer, uh, etc. And um, you know, Joe talked about the fact that if a drug is exposed, there are some drugs which are, if they are exposed to the wrong temperature, um, uh, they will be ineffective, or actually they might be dangerous. So, the point that I was trying to make is that there are so many handoffs happening across mm -hmm. the supply chain that if you don't have something which binds it all together, right? It's no longer the case that a company, say Pfizer, discovered a molecule, they are manufacturing it, they are selling it, they are distributing it, etc. You know, they will get it manufactured uh, maybe somewhere in China, the API will be coming from, say, India, the mixing will happen somewhere else, the packaging will happen somewhere else. It will go to a distributor who will put it to the pharmacy. Now, the handoffs are so many that unless until you have a single thread, a single chain tying it all together, it is very, very difficult to trace what the product has gone through. And when people talk, when Eric talks about serialization, is uh, talking about item-level serialization. Item-level serialization means what is consumed or bought by the end consumer in the end. It talks about a unique identifier for that. 
And ultimately, if you have that unique identifier, you should be able to trace the complete genetic makeup, uh, the entire chain of that particular drug. And that is the idea uh, behind doing this. Thank you, Manish. Joe, any thoughts on that? No, I think the, as I think we've all been pointing out, um, pharmaceutical companies uh, in particular, where we're, I think we're really referring to within the life science uh, industry, mm-hmm. are uh, very complex global organizations that are dealing across many markets. Uh, each market has uh, different approaches, um, whether you're talking the big three wholesaler concept in North America versus the specialty distributors that may exist in other markets or direct to uh, store shipments in, in different scenarios. There's a multitude of of, uh, of ways a product can reach different customers, and I think the um, the various classes of trade provide different opportunities for for um, you know counterfeits to be introduced in, into the into the marketplace. I think at this point um, we've talked a lot about you know it, there's there's really no turning back at this point. The, the counterfeit industry has grown to the point where um, they have to take some pretty substantial um, steps in order to counteract a lot of this activity. And I think with government's intervention now stepping in and, and really leading the way, and I think to Eric's point uh, he made earlier, you know, I think there could have been maybe some additional leadership from the industry on this. Um, but working with, with government, um, I think, is probably the most effective way of doing it. Unfortunately, you're seeing a bit of a proliferation of some of the resolutions as it pertains to different country reporting and, and scenarios. But um, that will help uh, you know, mitigate that. But ultimately, you really do have to get – the industry has to take it upon themselves to, to provide their own leadership in, in terms of where this is going. I think it's been well documented that once some of this item level serialization is, is put into place, it will give them uh, a broader array of tools from which to, one, minimize counterfeiting and protect their brands, protect their patients, protect their products. But also, I think it presents opportunities from a business model perspective that will give them different ways of reducing their cost, improving their responsiveness, um, improving their bottom line uh, as a result of having this ability into uh, those unique identifiers that exist on a global basis and help give greater insight into exactly what product is, uh, where it's flowing through from a supply chain perspective, but also where it's come from, uh, and in particular, where it, when it's come from the gray market or the illegal market um, and that quickly identifying that it is a counterfeit and it needs to be, you know, people need to be notified of that and hopefully being able to be very surgical in that intervention and stopping it before it becomes a, a massive recall as a result of some, um, you know, introduction of, of, uh, of counterfeit products. Thank you, Joe Miles. I, I want to introduce one more topic. We've talked about the issue. We've talked about the complexity of how it's not making progress, how it's not getting solved. But we haven't really, from what I can recall, we haven't really talked about the technology that might be able to help. So I'm just going to put three couple, three phrases on the table. Joe Miles, I'll ask you and then Eric, then Manish to, to comment. And we're not going to take our break. We're just going to spend the next four minutes doing this, and then we'll go right into our predictions round. So the question is, Business intelligence, big data, in-memory computing. How can they help pharma get a grip on this insidious growth of the counterfeit industry? Joe Miles, quickly, what do you think? Well, with the with the mandates of the individual unit-level serialization, item-level serialization, the, the amount of data that's going to be generated is going to be substantial. Um, mm-hmm. We have already seen that. We're, we're actually developing capabilities to address that uh, specifically in terms of the tens of millions of work orders that will have literally billions of serial numbers attached uh, to them 
that need to be processed either through their manufacturing, through contract manufacturing, um, passing information down through different partners, just simply the ability to transmit that information. Um, the messaging side of that is is a pretty overwhelming proposition for a lot of organizations, um, but, but certainly understanding and having insight into where those serial numbers are, how they're moving through the market, when they've moved outside of the traditional uh, supply chain flow, and and uh, and monitoring that from a real-time basis, uh, will have uh, will give them tremendous opportunities to to very quickly intercede. And when something is not uh, looking, you know, when something goes awry, immediately being able to re- to uh, identify it, to um, take a plan of action to address that specifically, notify the appropriate authorities in some case or customers or patients, mm-hmm. whomever that might be, to, to address that issue, I think will give them um, an, you know, a lot of tools that they just currently don't have. But the data volumes are going to be substantial. Um, they'll be mm-hmm. huge, and, and organizations' ability to deal with all of that will, uh, will be critical in, the, in being successful in this. Thank you, Joe. Eric Newmark, I'll give you a minute on this before we roll into, and Manish should minute as well, before we roll into quick predictions. Eric, what are your thoughts on, on the, the technology? Is it going to help? Is it there? Yeah, sure. I mean, I really think Joe actually hit this right on the nose. It, it, until we have item level serialization, the conversation around technology helping here is, is somewhat moot. Um, once we do have that uh, in place, the data volume is going to be absolutely enormous. You know, we typically talk about big data on the research side of the industry. Uh, and the commercial side hasn't really been bogged down with that, but once we get to item level serialization, that will change. So having the proper computing power to sort through that quickly and then almost in real time for uh, you know, regulatory bodies and, and governments to be able to look at that information, potentially identify uh, patterns or trends that look like counterfeit activity and you know, almost in real time uh, disseminate the proper enforcement officials to go investigate. Now, that's what we're... I think the end game is here that we hope to be at in you know, 10 or 15 years, but I don't think we're quite uh, getting close to that anytime soon. Thank you. Almost sounded like a little prediction there. Manish Tandon at Infosys. Quickly, what do you think about the role of technology? Is it, is it moot at this point because they're not ready for it? I agree with Joe and Eric. A um, couple of other points. I think if um, item-level serialization uh, does happen, then data proliferation will happen not just because of that, but because also it will give the ability for the pharma companies to know their end consumer much better, number one. Number two, I think uh, uh, I'm an optimist. I think uh, technology is making a difference, and a case in point is, I think, a five-year-old company in Africa, which has uh, created a mobile app where you can scratch the surface of your um, uh, packaging. It'll give you a code. You can SMS that code, and it'll tell you whether that drug is real or counterfeit. So there are there are opportunities out there. I'm I'm more optimistic about technology than um, the two of my fellow panelists. Um, uh, But I feel, uh, I agree with them that uh, technology can play and will play a very crucial role in this whole thing. 
Thank you, Manish. Now let's officially do our predictions. Crystal Ball, can you fast forward to 2020? Eric Newmark, I'll give you exactly one minute, no more. Please tell me what will be different about this conversation in terms of life science industries, in terms of their ability to rein in the counterfeits and just get a grip and and go ahead with item-level serialization, which you've all been mentioning. 2020, can you see that far? One minute, Eric Newmark, go. I think very little is different. I think, you know, five, six years from now, uh, from a regulatory standpoint, at least in the United States, not much is going to change. Um, we do see some countries in, you know, Europe and Asia that are starting to take more of a lead on here, that are starting to push item-level serialization. So I think in some of those countries you might see a significant drop uh, in counterfeit activity. But on a global basis, it's been growing, you know, hand over fist. I know between, you know, like 2008, 2010, we saw a five-fold increase in counterfeits. Um, you know, the World Wide Health Organization, you know, back in 2004 estimated, you know, maybe $75 billion by uh, right around now. That was an understatement. We're looking at close to $200 billion now. So this problem is, you know, growing. It's not slowing. Uh, and I think certain parts of the world are starting to make some strides. But with the U.S. being, you know, nearly half the global market for uh, pharmaceuticals, um, they're really going to need to step up if we're going to stop this on a global basis. So come 2020... Uh, I think we're probably still dealing with the same problem we are right now. Counterfeiting is growing, not slowing. It's poetic and it's sad at the same time. Thank you, Eric. Manish Tendon at Infosys, one-minute predictions. Go. I think the topic will be as relevant in 2020 as it is today. We will still be talking about some of the same things. But as I said, I am uh, relatively optimistic that the current modes of uh, counterfeiting can be mitigated to some extent. Uh, Rising incomes in the developing worlds will help that case, number one. Number two, I think uh, technology will play a critical role in trying to solve this problem. But as I said, it's like like a balloon. As long as there is an economic benefit, as long as there is a significant differential between the price, between the cost of manufacture and price, the problem is not going to go away. Thank you very much, Manish and Joe Miles. Let's wrap up. I can give you a minute and a half. Long time. Go ahead, Joe. Okay. I'm a little more on the optimistic side. I think by 2020, we'll be three years into the the DQSA scenario where they will be forced to be doing uh, item-level serialization. I think that'll have an impact on the global market. Uh, Clearly, we'll still be dealing with counterfeiters. I mean, I think you're always going to have some element of that problem. I don't think we will have eliminated or maybe in some cases even significantly stopped it. uh, Hopefully, we've slowed the growth and we've made it more difficult, more complicated, more costly for them to to do this, which would maybe keep some folks out of the marketplace. And technology will continue to be the really the key enabler for us to be able to do that and managing all that data. And at some point uh, in previous calls, I think we talk about big data. It'll just be data at some point, and we'll be able to process that data with the insights. I do think, though, that technology will help us not only at the, at the manufacturer level, but also farther down the supply chain at the pharmacist level. The individual, the Manish brought up the, the product authentication scenario with an iPad app, being able to scan a code, being able to key in a number, to be able to shoot that to uh, to an authority, and to get an authentication that the product is is real and is um, it's secure, and you know it's something that that will have the proper efficacy. I think we'll, we'll see more of that, and you'll see that both in the mature markets, and I think you'll hopefully see that as well in the emerging markets. Um, and I think that'll, that will be another way in which uh, we get a twofold approach uh, in trying to mitigate some of these and minimize some of the counterfeit uh, opportunities and, uh, and profitability from that market. 
Thank you, Joe Miles. Thank you, everyone, for your great predictions and great input on the show. I want to do a shout-out to my three wonderful guests, Eric Newmark at IDC Health Insights, Manish Tandon at Infosys, Feel Better, Please, Manish, and Joe Miles at SAP. Always happy to have you on the show. Shout-outs to Brad Borkin and Susan Rafazada at SAP who brought us this topic, and Pramod Pratap at Infosys who's been tweeting and capturing words of wisdom, and thank you also for your support. And let's see. Well, it's Wednesday. That means our week here is almost over. I'll be back this afternoon with the Internet of Things with Game Changers, Wednesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, presented by SAP. And tomorrow morning, we'll cap off our radio broadcast week with Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, tomorrow morning, Thursday, at 10 a.m. Eastern. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be careful about the meds you buy and be a game changer today. We'll see you later this afternoon on the Internet of Things with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.